Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the brand new Red Ink Writers podcast. My name is Sandy Butchers, and I am the author and illustrator of the Singularian Grimoire anthologies. You can find me on Twitter at Sandy Butchers. And my name is Lydia Stevens. I am the author of the Hellfire series and the Ginger Davenport Escapades. You can find me on Twitter at author underscore Lydia. Red Ink is proud to be an official sponsor of WriteHive, the nonprofit writing community that provides free, inclusive events, programs, and resources for writers of all backgrounds. This year, they are hosting a WriteHive anthology called Navigating Ruins, and they are looking for science fiction, fantasy, and horror stories to consider for publication. For submission guidelines, head on over to writehive.org. Make it a quick run, though, because submissions are closing on the 30th of June. As some of you may have noticed, we have a less than friendly title for today's episode, Kill Your Darlings. And although this refers to the process of slowly erasing your work while absorbed in self-editing, and there are times where it most certainly feels like murder, we don't want you to worry. We are not going to explain any actual killing methods. Well, nothing that is illegal anyway. I mean, haven't we all deleted scenes from our manuscripts that we absolutely loved but later found pointless to the plot? Oh man, I wish I hadn't. I remember my first full-length novel was drafted and even edited for a couple of rounds at a length of 130,000 words. So there were so many subplots and so many scenes that were gorgeous but didn't really keep up with the pacing or actually even broke down the speed of the story. And I knew that if I wanted to hit the query trenches with this one, especially since it was going to be my debut novel, um, I was going to have to cut it down with at least 30,000 words, preferably even more. And I remember I was super frustrated because this was my brainchild and someone was asking me to put that child in front of my face and asking me which limb to cut off. So I was like, no, no, why? I mean, this was a fantasy story. I, it, you know, we all know they can be huge, right? So why couldn't mine be huge? Yeah, I mean, I completely understand the frustration of that. And um, I think there's some great resources in the writing community about um, average and acceptable word counts, uh, especially for debut authors, but more particularly um, per genre. I think a lot of people don't realize that um, there are certain word count links for the genre that you're writing in and it is really important to adhere to those links because if you try to put this in front of an agent or an editor the first thing they're going to do is say it's too long or it's too short and um, I remember when we were going over that that particular novel that um, your debut novel um, s saying to you this is this is too long and I'm just watching your whole face fall and I felt so bad <laughs> but um, you know I believe it was a, a fantasy novel and uh, the sweet spot for fantasy is, is about 90 to 95,000 words. So yeah, you had the work cut out for you, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and now it's, it's, it's stuck at uh, 100K and I think it's still even too long. So, you know, and, and editing that way hurts because you really are cutting out entire chapters, entire passages, but, and you know, I think it's good as an author, you fall in love with your work. I mean, that's, that's kind of necessary. Um, yeah. And then you, you you have to go cold turkey on it and just say, no, no, I'm going to delete it. 
Um, and and, and ev- I think every writer has their own sort of deleted scenes graveyard. It's like a folder on a computer with, with all the deleted scenes because they can't get rid of it. Um, but it, but it's so necessary. And I'm actually, I'm kind of thinking, because you just mentioned um, uh, there is, uh, or the, a story shouldn't be too long or too short. Um, is there, like, is one better than the other? Um, I think it's, 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 uh, easier to, um, it really depends on your perspective and how you like to write. I find it easier to overwrite and then cut, um, where some people find it easier to underwrite and then add words. Um, for me personally, when when I underwrite, it's looking for, okay, where is it not developed enough? Um, and that's maybe just the way that I, that I approach the manuscript, um, because, you know, to me, the story is out, it's on the paper. And so finding those areas where, you know, I need to add here, I need to add there, where I can, you know, when I'm self-editing, I can go into a story and say, you know what, that's backstory or that's info dumping and it doesn't need to be there. Um, so that's my approach to it is it's okay to, you know, um, for me to overwrite because then it's very, um coming at the manuscript objectively to be able to cut those words. Um, I, I know where my pitfalls are in terms of um, sharing too much. Um, and I'll sit there at the computer and I think, you know, you and I have done a write-in before where, where you're sitting there and you're listening to me say, just cut it, Lydia, just cut it, cut it out, kill your darling, just cut it, you know? And then it might take me a minute and, and hands hovering over the delete bar, but um, eventually it's like, nope, I don't need it. I'm not gonna miss it. And quite frankly, the things that I have cut, um, you know, I don't miss them. I don't even remember what what it was that I cut. Um, and that's how you know that it wasn't relevant to the story because, um, you know, you can get rid of it and, and just the story still works. The plot is still essential. So I think that's probably one of the biggest tips that we can give writers when self-editing and you're trying to get that perfect word count, um, especially if you're cutting words. Um, look for the info dumping and look for the backstory. And you may need to know those things, but your readers don't necessarily need to know all of it. So unless it's driving the plot, um, you know, you need to seriously say, it's nice to have, it's, you know, that grandma's, auntie's, brother's, sister's dress was sunflower patterned at the wedding, but does everybody else need to know that? Yeah, That's, yeah exactly. Uh, and um, I remember from that, that it's, I'm still talking about the same first novel that I wrote. Um, I remember there was a subplot at the end that was basically setting up uh, the second book. So um, the follow up. Um, and I had a couple of critique partners and beta readers say, look, this chapter, I mean, it's, it's good. Um, and we understand um, you need it for the next book. Um, but if you still have to cut a couple thousand words, this would be the chapter. So yeah. how do you decide then, am I going to keep this chapter or not? Because right now it's still in there because I really I really don't feel like deleting it. But um, if I have to cut it down with another 10,000 words, you know, this chapter has got to go. So how, how can I make that decision? I think it's when you look at your plot points. I mean, if you were to sit there and I know that you're a panster, um, but, you know, once you write the book, um, if you sit there and you go chapter by chapter, just make even a simple list. You don't have to plot out the entire book, but just make a list of what is happening in that chapter. Okay, so you have, and right, right across the top of the list, what is the overall arc story? You know, are they going from point A to B to throw the ring in the mountain? Um, you know, or, or, or whatever. Um, 
what is the integral story and and what are you trying to get your character to do to go from um, place one to two to three and if you get place 1.5 between one and two do they really need to go you know throw a little wishing coin down the well before they head on to the tavern to be able to go to the mountain not really it's nice and it's visual and you know they're hoping that with their wish they're going to make it to the mountain or whatever you know however you you set this story up but we don't really need them to go to the well so that is how i approach uh when i need to cut um you know large chunks of narrative um did they need to do that to be able to if 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 they have this conflict and they have this call to action and what motivates them to it, do they need to do this thing in order to resolve the conflict at the end of the book? Um, yeah. I, I think someone once told me, I don't remember who this was, um, that, okay, so he said, write the book, edit the book, and then write the synopsis, and then go back to editing your book. What do you think of that? I think that's a really good idea. I mean, editing is a forever process. We are never going to make a book uh, 100% totally ready, absolutely perfect. Something Editing is one of those things where um, it, it's a process to help the story. It's always evolving. And I mean, I look back on my first books and I think, oh, I should have done this or oh, I should have done that. And now I, I can say, you know what, I, maybe I should have done, but th those books are finished, they're done, and they are what they were supposed to be in that moment. Um, I think the idea of writing a synopsis after you've written a book and edited and then going back to edit another round, uh, that's a great idea. Um, you know, I've never tried that. I, I might actually try that in the future just to see, you know, how, how can I get a little bit more in um, just this one more round. So that's a very good idea. Yeah, and I, I actually even think that um, because you wrote the synopsis, you have um, sort of straightened out the entire story. So you wrote down exactly what you need because that is the essence of your story. And then if you start reading it through, I, I think it really helps you, um, you know, point out those chapters or those passages that you maybe even don't need. So, you know, in, in retrospect, I think I, well, I wish I had known this. Um, this method um, before, you know, I, I sort of finished um, that first book. Yeah, I think um, this this goes back to, um, you know, a little bit of being underdeveloped as well. We, we've talked a lot about having to cut material and I know yeah. that both you and I tend to overwrite, but let's, let's chat a little bit about underwriting. I did have a manuscript where I did that and it was so hard to bring this manuscript up to word count. Um, I I had queried it and an agent was kind enough to say to me that sh she just didn't connect with the character um, enough, the main character. So I went back through the entire book and I made sure that the plot and, and the pacing in terms of action were on point. And then I went back, I think I had to bring this book up, by, it was either 10,000 or 15,000 words. And I went through each chapter and I looked where can I develop this main character in terms of emotions or... Um, uh, uh, physical, what's happening physically around her and how she's reacting to that. Um, and I ended up doing the majority of the work of having to bring a book up to word count by doing it that way. So even if it's maybe not your main character, if it's your plot um, or, or your pacing or something like that, you need to slow your pacing down. 
um, you know, maybe describe some setting to help throw it down or describe some more action, you know, um, there are ways to bring a manuscript up to word count and do it in layers. Um, you know, I, I think go through, look at each of the characters. Are they developed enough? Um, look at your plot. Is it, you know, is it a reasonable plot in terms of it makes sense that the characters are doing this? Um, so going back to the, um, you know, example of a person who stops at a well and throws a coin in for a wish to go on to the tavern, to go on to the mountain. If, if you completely skip the tavern that they have to stop and get the map on how to get to the mountain, you know, um, th then you've skipped a key plot point. That character needs to do that to be able to navigate the mountain. So um, I think, you know, you can always do this in layers, um, edit in layers, and it also helps you to remain objective when self-editing. Um, and I think that's a really important um, piece to self-editing that we really need to talk about is how to remain objective while self-editing because it is so hard because this is your darling this is your baby um and you have to come to the computer and to the work and be able to completely rewrite or cut or um, revise entire passages and you don't want to do it because it's like getting stabbed in the heart <laughs> um yeah yeah, it's 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 tough, but I think it's really it's necessary. It's it's like a necessary evil, and you just you're gonna have to go for it. And I'm looking up. I I saw a really good quote coming by, and I'm just I'm quickly scrolling to see if I can still find it. Um, so the quote was: "The most valuable of all talents is that of never using two words when only one will do." And this was said by Thomas Jefferson. So this one goes, you know, a while back, um, and it's still relevant. So. Um, yeah, and and I think this connects to the being objective. Like, do we do you really need these words? Do you really need this part? It's I don't know. Just this quote just reminded me of what we were, you know, what we we're talking about. Yeah, I love this quote. Um, and talking about how to remain objective while self-editing, it's such a hard thing to do. It reminds me of our characters. When we put a character in a very emotional situation, um, they're going to react to it. And so when we come to a manuscript and, um, you know, we're emotional about it, we're going to react to having to revise that or to cut that. So the idea is think like your character. So your character has the reaction, um, you know, and, and we know that we need to cut this material and we react to it. Give yourself a breath and then come back to the manuscript with a response. So what I mean by this is when your character responds to something that they've reacted to, they're coming at this response rationally. Um, so it's react versus respond. And that means that they can um, look at the situation objectively and make a plan on how to deal with this situation. Now that they've had the initial reaction and it's out of the way, they can control their emotions. So the same thing applies to us when we're self-editing. Come back to the manuscript after you've given yourself a moment to react. Come to it objectively, come to it rationally and analytically. Almost like, not robotic, but mechanically. Look at your manuscript, um, the mechanics of it, how your characters are developed, how the plot's developed, how the pacing. So make yourself a checklist and go down through that checklist and edit in rounds if you have to, or edit chapter by chapter and, and cover all of those things and say, you know what, this is hard and I acknowledge that feeling that this is going to be difficult, 
but this is necessary because self-editing is absolutely 100% necessary. So if you can come at it with a, you know what, I have a list of things to do to edit this chapter and I'm going to do them and we all have to do things that we don't enjoy doing and, and this may be, you know, one of the big things, especially for writers, um, we can get through it and we can make that manuscript the best that it can possibly be. I almost feel uh, a sense of detachment. I read the manuscript like I didn't write it, like someone else wrote it, and I say in my head over and over again, this is the first time I'm reading this manuscript, or um, you know, what? how would I react to this, or how would I re rather respond to this, excuse me, how would I respond to this if I hadn't written it? If I was doing a developmental edit for say you or another one of my clients, what would I say to them if I read this? Um, and and how, would I, how would I guide them to develop this more or to completely revise this because it's just not working. So if you can come to a manuscript like that, I think, um, you know, that's the best way to approach self-editing is very rational, very calm and collected and, you know, just do the work. Yeah, and I think that itself is a skill on its own. I mean, just to, to take that breath and step away for you know a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks, um, and then just look at it, um, like you said, like like it's you, you see it for the very first time. That is a skill. That is something that takes practice. That is something that takes time, even um, because you, it, it, it's it's not something you can just do. It's something. I mean, you will always have an emotional connection with your book. Um, and, and yeah, it, it will take time and practice to sort of put that a little bit more to the side. So I think uh, you have some very special skills there. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with you about taking, you know, a week to two weeks, because when you do come back to that manuscript, you're going to be thinking, I wrote this. When did I write this? What, you know, and you're going to you're going to spot things like your crutch words. Yes. Um, those things where you fall back on those nasty little bad habits that you know you're oh, supposed man. to edit and somebody else might pick up on them right away but you need a little bit of space from the manuscript and then when you come yep. back to it you're like oh no yeah. <laughs> what did I do yeah. and what did I drink before I wrote this yeah I was just thinking like I don't know my, my own crutch words it's it's quite a list <laughs> but they are always the same so I'm I'm very consistent yeah. with which crutch, crutch words um, I always put in there um, and I, I actually made a list of um, um, you know top nine um, crutch words that are very common to spot in a manuscript and I will be posting that list later um, this week on Twitter so um, you know if you want to see that list uh, and it's called the author's guide to the nine circles of hell obviously um, because they are hell, they are your personal nightmares. Um, but I will give you tips on um, which words they are and how to fix them. Perfect. Yes, I love it. Um, yeah, we all have those those little bad habits that um, you know we get into. And and I don't know who said the quote, but um, I love the um, write drunk, edit sober. So when we're definitely writing drunk, you know, um, I like to call my wine my mommy juice and it's late at night at midnight and I finally get to sit down and, and put the words in and, you know, um, feeling pretty good about life. <laughs> and then I come back to it sober the next morning and I'm like, oh, oh Lord, help me. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> Will the gods please fix this? Because it's just, yeah, it's, it's not working for me. So, yes, um, definitely start to keep, um, I think, you know, a list or maybe um, some notes about what your personal um, habits might be when you write. Uh, that way they're so easy to pick up uh, when you go back through. And um, we're going to get into this a little bit later, but then they become micro edits as opposed to macro edits. And we will definitely explain those a little bit later in the podcast, but we have some other great stuff coming up. So, um, yeah, definitely remember, remain objective when you are self-editing. It will be a lifesaver. This week, we reached a fantastic milestone on our Twitter platform. 500 followers, and that's no joke considering we started only a couple of weeks ago. We set up two giveaways for those who participated in spreading our presence throughout the community. One giveaway was focused on the first half of the Singularian Grimoire anthologies, and the other was the complete trilogy of the Ginger Davenport escapades by Lydia Stevens. Now we are so pleased to announce that we have found our winners. Alright, here they are. BZ Writers, and I hope I pronounced this the right way. Um, you have won the Singularian Grimoire anthologies. And Meredith Lauren, uh, you have won, congratulations, the uh, Ginger Devonport escapades. Now, we will be sure to reach out to you on Twitter, so keep an eye on those messages. And thank you so much, everyone, for sharing, liking, and following us. If you haven't yet, be sure to join us, um, as this will most definitely not be the last giveaway we will launch. Hey everyone, this is Lydia. I am doing something that I have dubbed the hashtag Intern Insights. And I've been rolling that out on Twitter, on my personal account, as well as on the Red Ink Writers Podcast. And this is just me bringing my experience as a literary agency intern um, to the writing community and just giving you some tips and tricks, um, some insights into um, you know, what it was like to work for an agency as well as, you know, some of the do's and don'ts when you are querying an agency or you're going to be working with an agent. Um, so one of the uh, insights that you may have seen this week was send all is not okay. And let me get into this a little bit. Um, I have seen where someone has queried an agent and they have queried 50 to 100 agents at a time. So you're looking at that address bar and it's an entire paragraph in itself of agents. So what this does is it tells an agent that you didn't actually look at their personal bio. Um, you didn't take the time to research, you know, is this agent going to be the right one for, for you? You're just kind of putting all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak, and hoping somebody will take a bite. They don't like this, so please don't do it. Um, you know, this kind of leads me into the second intern insight that I provided, which was personalize your intro. Um, agents like to be made to feel like people and not like you're just going at the specific cog of a machine. Um, you know, they want to feel like you are willing to develop a working relationship with them. So when you take the time to look for articles or interviews or blog posts or their hashtag manuscript wish list, um, you know, click on those links and, and give it a read. It takes five to 10 minutes to research an agent and see, you know, what their career has been and, and what they're representing and, and, you know, would your book actually be a good fit for them? So for example, um, I write fantasy, uh, but they're not, when, when I'm on um, Query Tracker, I love that tool. 
um, you know, not every agent on there is going to rep fantasy. Likewise, not every agent on there who reps fantasy would like a fantasy with romantic elements. I have come across this. Um, so I know that they are not going to be the fantasy agent for me. So take the time to really research an agent and make them feel like, you know, they are specifically the agent that you are looking for. I mean, they are very much aware that you are probably going to query other agents. So when, when you show them that you are going to invest time in them as much as they're going to invest time in you, that really helps to create a connection with them and, and you're likely to get more of, more of a response. And in an industry which is so swamped, I know it's so frustrating when you don't always hear back from an agent. Um, you know, but they're, they're getting hundreds of queries a week. So um, if, if you can make yours stand out with not just a great query, um, but showing them that you have looked into their profile, then that really goes a long way to promote that relationship. Um, another tip that I provided this week was to keep your query short and simple. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is that if you send two pages worth of an email of a query letter, and you tell us every single little detail about, you know, the main character's boyfriend's grandma's in the hospital with a heart attack. You know, she has to go save the world by jumping off the London Bridge and into a portal. As much as we want grandma to be okay, she's not relative to jumping off of a bridge to save the world. So we don't need to know that. Um, so when, when you start explaining every little subplot in a query, it becomes too long and too much. And an agent is going to be sitting there reading it and thinking, what does this have to do with anything? Let your work speak for itself. You want the major plot points and conflict in a query letter and what your main character is going to do about it. Um, so that brings me to sort of a sneak peek of what I'm going to be providing you next week for the intern insights. And that is, you know, the four steps to writing a query um, and who is the main character, what do they want, how are they going to get it, and what happens if they don't get it. And that's the stakes. And this is versus the GMC model of a query letter, which is the goals, motivation, conflict. Both provide the same information in a different format. So definitely be sure to look for that intern insight. Um, there's going to be three of them. I post them Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And take a look for those hashtag intern insights and I will go more in depth with that. This week's Twitter poll asked what subject people were most eager to hear about. We gave three choices how to remain objective while self-editing, how to spot crutch words, and macro versus micro editing. Now, Twitter has spoken, and the question coming from the community was, what is macro versus micro editing? So Lydia, perhaps you can explain a little bit on the difference between macro and micro editing for starters. Absolutely, macro edits refer to your big picture fixes. For instance, rewriting your climax, adding a new character, or even changing your whole plot. And um, these are all some examples of macro editing. Um, so you're editing your manuscript on a large scale. Micro edits refer to the smaller, um, more minute changes. So, you know, maybe in chapter one, you have your character's eyes are blue, and then in chapter 20, they're green. That's a micro edit. It takes a microsecond to fix it. 
Um, so they, those are different from grammatical errors, although those would be considered a micro edit because it takes just a second to fix a comma or something like that. But you definitely want to keep the macro versus micro editing as well as your grammatical editing separate. Um, so when you do, you should always start with your macro edit because it's such an expansive edit. So it's, you know, um, maybe you realize that um, you have this whole entire chapter that needs to be rewritten because your character has to, um, you know, do, do this certain battle with somebody in order to win a sword or something like that, you know, um, to be able to go on to the climax of the story and, and defeat the, the, you know, big bad guy or, or, or something like that. So, or you, you've discovered that, um, you know, the plot of your story simply does not work and you have to go back and you know this is this goes on to a lot of world building um kind of things where uh you figured out that for some reason your the way you've set up your world and the rules of your world is not working so you have to go back to the beginning and kind of um revise that whole um that whole plot arc throughout the story. So that is a major revision. Um, I just had this, um, with the current work in progress that I'm doing, um, I have restarted this manuscript three times. Um, the, the first time was, you know, the main character was sitting in his office and he was drinking and, um, you know, uh, in walks this, uh, character and brings about the um you know sort of uh call to action for the story another one was they were outside of the office and the pub below the office gets blown up and then um this third revision is um you know they're back in the office but you know a, a body drops from the ceiling in the pub below so i've rewritten this um particular work in progress three different times trying to find what works the best so it's been a complete revision it's still going to be the same story still the same um, plot art but you know I've rewritten chapters one and two um, three times so that is a macro edit that is when you spend a lot of time and effort on rewriting something or revising something that is not working versus a micro edit um, where you know, you may find in um, chapter three that for three paragraphs, uh, you switched from present tense to past tense. That's a micro edit. And although it does go back to grammar a little bit, um, it's only going to take you a short amount of time to fix that. Or, um, you know, you have a character who is speaking with um, an Australian accent um, for all of the book and then in the last two paragraphs of the book suddenly they they have a an American accent that's a very quick fix <laughs> that, that is actually quite interesting yeah. <laughs> how would that yeah. happen um, <clears throat> I'm just thinking though just as a, as a very quick uh, recap um, I am taking out two things from what you just said so the first thing is that um, both macro and micro edits uh, can be made in layers so you yeah. do this in different rounds and every round is going to look at a different aspect of either the micro or the micro editing and the second thing is 
you don't have to wait with these things until your complete manuscript um, is written. Am I right in that? Correct. So definitely do your macro edits first because again, you may do something, you may accidentally put in a micro edit that needs to be done after. Um, so, you know, you're completely rewriting um, this character. And again, um, you rewrite them as having green eyes, but in chapter one, they had blue eyes. So um, you don't want to try to do your micro edits before you do your macro edits, because you, you're you just going to run into more micro edits after you do the next round of macro editing. So it is a very layered approach. Um, and yeah, you're going to be, th this comes back to, um, you know, look when you're looking at your setting or your characters or your plot or your pacing, your macro edit can be done in multiple rounds as well, where you have that list, like I talked about um, yeah. for self-editing yeah. and, and you look at each of those things in each round and, you know, do you have um, chain sweeping changes that have to be done for each of those items on the list? And, you know, how does that then affect the other um, tasks on your list in terms of looking at character or plot or, or pacing or setting or something like that. And then you can go back through and do the micro editing. So I know you and I have done this um, quite a lot and how you see me approach this in terms of a developmental editor. Um, I ask you a lot of questions. I might say, this is not working. Um, what if you did this? Or um, why is this character doing this? And you know, you might think it's a quick fix, but when you come back to it, you're like, oh, this character is doing this because of X, Y, Z. And you're like, wait a minute. That then affects what they did in chapter one to how they got to chapter 13. So that would be considered a macro edit. Um, whereas, you know, sometimes I've pointed out um, you misspelled this word or, um, you know, you're you're saying one of your crutch words, um, you know. Again, many, you know, so it's very simple comment that you might see from me, where I'm like, you know, just um, maybe change this word, find a synonym for this word. Yeah. Um, that is considered a micro edit. So you know, I I do comment on those when I see them, but as a developmental editor, I specialize in the macro editing um, more, where I can look at a story and see the big picture um, revisions that need to be done in a story. So. Um, definitely, um, you know, when you're self-editing, you can have that approach. Or if you have an editor, you've hired an editor, um, and you're wondering, why are they making the comments that they're making? Like, if they're asking me why a character is doing this, or why this setting or, or this particular aspect of a world has been um, done this way, consider that to be probably a macro edit, and it needs to be changed. Um, or you need to be, you need to spend a lot of time thinking about this suggestion and revising it. That's a macro edit, yeah. as opposed and, to. And, a... and in terms of, because uh, you you just mentioned like if you hired an editor, um, um, th this isn't something, or at least it doesn't feel like something you always have to do alone. I mean, yes, we are talking about self-editing, mm -hmm. um, but considering our previous episode was about critique partners, um, right. I think there is definitely a lot of overlap there as well, yeah. because um, especially if you have the list. Uh, of things that you want to take a look at, um, you know, present that list to your critique partner and, and yeah. see what happens. And um, initially it might be editing with someone else, but I mean, in the end you have to do the work, of course. So it, it, it's still self-editing. Um, but I think, yeah, I think there are, there's a lot of overlap in there. 
Yes, definitely. Um, you can get a lot of these great macro um, versus micro editing from from critique partners as well as editors. Um, there's something also to be said for beta readers. You might think that you are completely done this story. You have self-edited it. Your critique partner has edited it. And then you hand it over to a beta reader. And they're saying, you know, they give it a read and they come back to you and they say, I liked it. It was really good. There was this one part I wasn't so keen on. Um, you know, and if you have more than one beta reader and they're all saying the same thing, you know, um, you, you have your uh, main character falling in love with, um, you know, the bad boy and, and he, you know, they get into a fight and he speeds off in the car and they're all like, well, this is kind of, we don't really like that he did that. What if you approach the conflict this way? Or, you know, you don't necessarily have to take on the suggestions of your beta readers either. Um, you know, you, you can take the fact that they're all saying, we didn't like that. Um, it was cause enough for us to maybe um, put the book down and have to come back to it. That is, a, you need to take that as a sign that maybe I should approach this a different way. You know, maybe they should resolve their conflict before he speeds away in the car or something like that. You know, what, what um, however you want to approach that. But if you have a lot of people saying the same thing of that didn't really work, we really didn't like that. There is a difference between that and evoking a response and a reaction from your readers so characters are going to do crappy things that we don't like there's a difference between um producing that reaction um you know because there are unlikable characters and a reader saying i put the book down because it just wasn't working um that's different so you need to be very aware when you're self-editing how to spot those differences or if they're pointed out to you to actually kind of adhere to them. Yeah, I think actually this, this brings us kind of full circle because what we're looking at now is how to be objective while self-editing again. So yeah, I, I, I think um, I think we have, we have gone through the entire circle now basically. We, we have, um, you know, given some tips on how to be objective. Um, we have um, gone through the whole process of macro and micro editing. Um, I think self-editing is a very complex and very um, interesting, time-consuming necessity um, yes, of writing, and, and it's something that is absolutely inevitable. Um, so I, I think if there's one thing that I want to give any writer um, in terms of advice is don't dread the editing phase. Don't dread it. It's not going to be fun, but it's necessary. So just. You know, you, you can do this. <laughs> you, you've got this. You've got <laughs> no. this. You don't know what the fuck you're doing. Exactly. Yes. That is why this is our motto. It will make you a better writer. We promise. That is our promise to you. When you embrace this process, you will become better. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into the Red Ink Writers Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. So please let us know your thoughts. Also, there will, of course, be a new listeners poll on Twitter, so do give us a follow there, at Red Ink Writers. We hope to see you again on the next episode when we discuss distractions, workload, and writer's block while we just want to write. And remember, you've got this, even if you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Mm -hmm.